All right, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 91 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go over to Psalm 91. Before we dive into Psalm 91, just a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, I'm glad to be back. Uh, You probably know that for the past couple of weeks, uh, I've been in Greece on our first ever Creekside mission trip. Here's a picture of our team from Greece standing. You can see the Acropolis in the background. What we were doing was taking opportunities to share the gospel with some of the tens of thousands of refugees who are living in Athens, Greece right now. Uh, Greece is a tough situation at the moment, economically, religiously, politically. There is not a whole lot of hope for the people in Greece, at least from an earthly perspective. And so our desire and this team's desire was to bring the gospel to these men and women who are living with a feeling of lack of hope. So it was a great trip. Over the next few weeks and months, we're going to try to share some more stories. I saw some numbers this week. This team had the opportunity to talk to at least 83 refugees on the streets of Athens and uh, share the gospel with at least 22 of those refugees. And so we had a great time. I look forward to sharing more about that with you. All right, Psalm chapter 91. I was thinking about my own father this weekend, and I thought I would begin with a story about my own dad that involves my own dad. From back when I was 12 or 13 years old, uh, one evening my parents went out of the house for a date, a restaurant date, something along those lines, and they left me at home by myself. Uh, My brothers were not there for some reason, and I don't know why, but I made the decision on that evening, alone in my house, to watch The Twilight Zone. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the old Twilight Zone with Rod Serling. It was terrifying, but not in the way that shows try to be terrifying now. There wasn't a whole lot of blood or guts or gore or anything like that. The premise behind the old Twilight Zone was sort of, what are some things that you could be afraid of that you've never thought about before? And so every week, they would introduce something new that you've never thought you could be afraid of this. And and you remember Rod Serling, who was the creator of that show, would always get up at the beginning of every program and give a narration, a verbal introduction, something like, Bob is an ordinary man who's about to enter some very extraordinary circumstances. Everything Bob knows to be true will crumble apart in the next 10 minutes as Bob gets on a plane headed into the Twilight Zone, right? And then that music would pop up and they would create these terrifying scenarios. So there'd be a guy in a plane with a monster on the wing or a hitchhiker who turned out to actually be the angel of death or there were aliens who ate people, or all sorts of terrifying scenarios. So I'm sitting at home watching a Twilight Zone marathon on TV while my parents are gone for the night. And the way that our house was set up, it was, it was set up so that if you were sitting on the sofa, all of the dark bedrooms were behind you. So I'm watching the TV, and I'm getting more and more uneasy to the point that I finally turn off the TV, I get up and I walk into the other room and I turn on every light in the house. And I just search through the house to try to find whatever monster or prowler or whatever I'm sure is in the house. I found nothing. I sat back down 
and I turned on something else, I don't know, I Love Lucy or something, and I begin to still feel uneasy. All of the images and thoughts from this show are running through my mind. So I pick up the phone finally, and I call my parents. Now, of course, this was before there were cell phones. So the only way to reach them was to call the restaurant they were at and ask whoever answered the phone, could I please talk to Glenn Morton? And of course, they had to go find my dad, and my dad had to leave his table and come to the phone And he says, son, what's going on? And I said, I'm scared. And he said, scared of what? And I thought, there's all kinds of things to be scared of that I've just seen on the TV. I mean, there are infinite possibilities. But I finally fessed up and I said, well, I was alone here at the house and I was watching the Twilight Zone. And and my dad stopped me and said, you were doing what? I said, I was watching the Twilight Zone. And I, I still remember him saying, Why in the world were you watching that show while we were gone? You're going to have to deal with this yourself. And he went back to dinner. (laughs) Because my dad knew that at that moment I had created my own mess. I had allowed fear to enter into my heart and mind and absolutely dominate me. I invited it in. And then it wrecked my evening. Everybody in this room is afraid of something. Every so often I run into somebody who says, I'm not really afraid of anything. And I never believe them. Everybody's afraid of something, whether you acknowledge it or not. When we're kids, our fears tend to run along concrete lines. We're afraid of certain types of people or certain types of violent situations. I asked some of my Facebook friends this week to tell me, what were you scared of when you were a child? One person says, I was scared of Santa Claus. Terrified he would come into our house and rob us while we slept. (laughs) My little sister and I always slept in the same room on Christmas Eve, so I guess I coped by putting her closer to the door, just in case. (laughs) Actually, she wasn't the only one afraid of Santa Claus. Another person said, my parents made me watch E.T. when I was seven or eight. I'd always be terrified E.T. was going to fly by and land in my room and take me home with him. And then she says, I'm also terrified of clowns. Clowns was actually a pretty big theme that came up. This other person says, I was not scared of clowns, but I was specifically frightened of Ronald McDonald. Another one says, I hated loud noises, fireworks, balloons, popping, guns, etc. I never outgrew the fear of balloons. This one, a great dad moment. My dad told me Darth Vader lived in our attic because he thought I would try to climb in there myself. (laughs) Way to go. And then my favorite, I was scared of this creepy doll that my sister got at a garage sale. It was about two or three feet tall and had red hair. And to make it more creepy, my sister cut its hair with her kid scissors, then put black and blue eyeshadow on it with crayon. She knew I hated this doll, and so for fun, she would prop it up against my bed at night with its hands stretched toward my head. She would call my name until I woke up and saw it and then pretend to be asleep. It's like the worst sister I've ever heard of. That's miserable. Now, when we're young, our fears run along those lines. As we get older, though, of course, our fears become more abstract and harder to pin down, don't they? We're not afraid of dolls or clowns as much as we were when we were kids, but we're afraid of things that we really can't control. Maybe we're afraid of being alone. Maybe you're single in this room, and your greatest fear is that you will live the rest of your life in loneliness, 
Maybe you're married and your marriage is struggling and your fear is, I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. Maybe you have a family and your fear is, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. And so you lie awake at night with this monster of fear eating you alive. And that anxiety just churns in your heart. Maybe you're afraid of losing your health. And you eat every sprig of parsley you can find to try to stave off the specter of sickness and death. So as we grow, our fears become more complicated and harder to control. And of course, the danger that we face is that we allow, like I did as a kid, we allow those fears to dominate our lives. And as Christians, really the big danger we face when it comes to fear is that fear keeps us from boldly following Jesus Christ. Right, Because if my greatest fear in the world is being alone or losing relational capital, then sharing the gospel is going to be terrifying to me because I might lose a bit of my reputation. I might lose friends. My family might even isolate themselves from me. If my greatest fear is losing financial security, then I may be afraid to live with integrity with my money or to share the gospel because that may have financial implications. If my greatest fear for myself and my kids is about physical safety, then I will try to construct a life where we can always be safe and never get hurt and never step out of our comfort zone. And so following Jesus Christ boldly is next to impossible when fear rules our lives. This is why over And over and over again, the Word of God tells us, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. One of the most often repeated commands in the Scripture. Now, we hear that and we say, you know, that's easy to tell us it's hard to accomplish. How can I not be afraid? The answer to overcoming fear, I think we all recognize, the answer is not by putting on sort of a Pollyanna type of mindset and saying, you know what, nothing bad will happen. We're not spiritual versions of little orphan Annie saying the sun will always come out tomorrow, right? Because the reality is, as long as you live on this earth, bad things are going to happen. Sickness will find you. Death will find you. Loneliness will find you. Financial need will find you. The things that you fear may actually come to pass. And so we cannot overcome fear by saying, you know what, I'm going to suck it up and believe that good things are going to happen if I smile enough. Biblically, fear is defeated only by the power and the presence of God. Biblically, courage is only found For those who look to God as their shelter and say, I will shelter myself under the hand of God because I know that God in Jesus Christ has given me an eternal hope that can overwhelm any fear. That no matter what finds me in this life, I have a hope that is greater than death. I have a hope of eternal provision greater than any need I experience now. I have a hope of permanent intimacy 
with God that will overwhelm any aloneness I feel today. And so every fear has been answered by the character of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at Psalm 91 this morning, we're going to get a glimpse into the character of our God who gives us courage. Now, Psalm 91, of course, is a part of the Old Testament written to particular people at a particular time in history. Most likely, Psalm 91 was written to the king of Israel right before he went into battle. And of course, before going into battle, a king is going to fear defeat and death. And to the Israelites, God had made promises that as long as you obey, I will give you peace in the land on which you dwell. I will give you victory over your enemies. And so Psalm 91, in large measure, is God reminding the king, look, if you follow me, if you obey me, if you shelter yourself in me, I will give you victory. I will protect you here on the land and give you life. Now, for you and me, we are not members of ancient Israel. We don't share the same type of covenant relationship that God shared with Israel. But we have the same God. And although the details of our covenant with God in Jesus Christ have shifted, the reality of God as our protector has not changed. That in Jesus Christ, God says now, no matter what happens to you, there is a hope and a future for the people of God that defeats any fear. That's the essence of Psalm 91. Look with me then this morning at Psalm 91, starting in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. I love the imagery here because it's not just that God provides shelter for us against what we fear. It's that God actually is the shelter. That's the thing that we see first here in verses 1 through 4. God actually is our shelter. That it is under God we find protection. Think for just a minute. When you are afraid, what fundamentally are you afraid of? When we're afraid, here's what I think we're afraid of. We are afraid that between us and whatever we fear, there's no barrier. There's no barrier between me and financial ruin. There's no barrier between me and cancer or sickness or death. There's no barrier between me and the deep loneliness that I fear. I have nothing to protect me. And Psalm 91, 1-4 says, God is your shelter. As long as you are under the shadow of the Most High, you have shade and shelter. We try to construct false shelters all the time for ourselves. If I can just get enough money in the bank, I won't have to worry about my finances. If I can just control my marriage and my relationships enough, I won't have to worry about loneliness. If I can just eat enough asparagus, I might not die. You might not really live either, but you might not die. 
And so we try to construct these false shelters. And right at the beginning of Psalm 91, there is no sense in which God says, you know what, all your planning, all your intelligence, all your wisdom is going to save you. Instead, he says, the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High has a shade and a shelter between him or her and death itself. When Shannon and I were living in Dallas, newly married, One evening we left our apartment to go to a party at a friend's house. And when we got into my car, it began to rain. But it was okay, we were in the car. But by the time we got to the end of our street, the rain turned into little stones of hail. They were pounding on top of that 1994 Toyota Tercel with the thin little roof. By the time we got a mile away from our apartment, those little stones of hail had become the size of baseballs. One of the worst hailstorms on record in Dallas County, pounding onto the top of that car, hitting the windshield. If you've never been in a little vehicle in a giant hailstorm, it's hard to describe the terror it can evoke. We pulled under the shelter of a gas station along with seemingly half of the entire Metroplex trying to get under that little gas station. And there we waited out the worst of the storm. And after the storm, uh, we pulled that car out and I saw the giant dents all over the hood and the roof. By some miracle, the windshield itself did not shatter. And I remember looking at that car and I thought, had it not been for that thin sheet metal between me and those hailstones, I'd be dead. But that shelter kept us alive. That's the imagery of Psalm 91. God is the shelter between you and me and everything that we fear. He goes on to describe God like a big bird. Okay, not big bird, a big bird. Critical distinction like an eagle or a hawk, and he says, God shelters you under the pinions of his wing, like a bird shelters its chicks. Right here in the first four verses, actually, of Psalm 91, there are four names used for God. The first one is the Most High, El Elyon, the Most High God. The idea is the God who sits above everything that you fear, sits above everything you worry about, all the troubles of your life. God is bigger. The next one is El Shaddai, God who is like a giant mountain or a rock that you take shelter under in the midst of a storm. Then he's referred to as Yahweh. That's the four-letter word for God that the Jewish people would not even pronounce aloud. It has the idea of the God who has always been. I am who I am, as he said to Moses. Before your fears came to life, before you came to life, God was. After all of our enemies, death and Satan and sin are defeated, God will still be. And then, of course, Elohim, which simply means my God. That's my God. The great mountain, the one who is higher than all my fears, in whom I can take shelter. 
Now, as we said, for the king of Israel, this concept of God as his shelter would have meant, I can go into battle and trust that God will give me victory. For you and me, here's what I want us to consider when we think about God as our shelter, is think about this. Every fear you face is due to some enemy of God. We fear death. We fear separation from God and other people because of sin. We fear financial ruin, ultimately because we fear not having enough, which leads to death. Now imagine all of those enemies bearing down upon you and you stand in an open field about to die. And what God does is He inserts His Son, Jesus Christ, as the shelter between you and me and everything we fear. Every enemy is vanquished by the presence of Jesus Christ who took the brunt of sin and the brunt of death, and everything Satan had to throw at him, and took death itself, and swallowed it up in victory. So that for those who know Jesus Christ, we have an enduring and permanent shelter. Evil can never permanently destroy because of the the hope of resurrection provided in Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we say God is our shelter. Now the psalmist goes on to say God is our courage. Look at verse 5. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion, and the serpent you will trample down. Let me ask this question and be honest. How many of you have ever been afraid of the dark? Okay, about half. Many of us, if not most of us, at some point in our lives have been afraid of the dark. Just like the story I told at the beginning. In the dark, we don't know what's going to happen. There are terrors in the dark. There are fears in the dark. I read an article a few years ago about lion attacks in Tanzania. And the researchers studied nearly 500 lion attacks over a 10-year period in Tanzania. And it may not surprise you to learn that most of them happened in the dark. So maybe when we are afraid of the dark, we are lying there like our ancestors thinking, perhaps I'm about to get eaten. Uh, Freud, the 20th century psychologist, said we're afraid of the dark because when we are young, our moms put us in the crib and leave us there in the dark so that every time you're in the dark and afraid, you just really want your mom. Maybe that's true. Maybe not. But there is no doubt that the dark often evokes feelings of fear and unease. And the psalmist says... 
For those who know God, even the terrors of the night hold no power. Right? What's interesting is he goes on to say, by the way, it's not just at night that there's stuff to be afraid of. It's also at day. You can be afraid at night. You can be afraid at day. At night, there might be a robber, a murderer, a lion, whatever. During the day, the heat may scorch your crops and you may lose everything. Somebody may shoot an arrow at you in the middle of the day. There's a cheery thought to take to work tomorrow. Wars happen during the day for the most part. At night, in the day. There's plenty to be afraid of. And he says, those who have God as their courage need not fear the terrors by night or the destruction by day. Ultimately, for you and me, much of what we fear comes from the hand of God's enemy, the devil. I mentioned a a couple of moments ago this concept of lions attacking us in the dark. As you read through the Scripture, you see Satan, God's enemy, portrayed as a lion. Look at this. 1 Peter, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, what does he do? How does he devour us at night and at day? Look at this. John chapter 8. Verse 44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does the devil do? Well, when you are awake at night in the dark and all those fears flood in, God's enemy rushes in to lie. To say this, God is not there. God does not care. You have no shelter. Your only solution is to plan better, to hoard more, to work harder, to worry for a few more minutes. And he lies to our hearts and our minds about the character of God. And yet the psalmist says, no, God himself is our courage. Jesus, I love the way that Jesus puts it in Matthew 6. None of you by worrying can add a single day to his life, right? Or I've mentioned this before. The other way to translate that is you cannot add a single cubit to your height by worrying. Folks, I should be 25 feet tall if worrying worked. I'm just as short as I was 10 years ago. You can't add a day to your life. You're going to live just as long or just as short no matter how much you worry. In fact, you might die sooner if you worry more. And so the enemy comes in and says, what you need to do is find your own way to overcome your fear because God can't protect you. And the psalmist says, no, for the one who trusts in God, nothing can touch you. That is true in Jesus Christ because not even death itself can come near. I want to ask you a question this morning. Where do you get your courage from in those dark moments of fear? When you're afraid, do you open up the balance on your 401k and you look at it and you either feel good or you feel really bad? 
When you're afraid, you seek reassurances from those that you love that they will never leave. You go in insecurity to control and hold them as tight as possible. Do you get your courage from how you eat, how much you exercise? All good things, but you're still going to die. Where do you get your courage from? As we move through Psalm 91 this morning, here's the phrase I want us to write on our minds and our hearts. Whatever it is, blank, right? my money, my family, my health, my career, the right neighborhood, whatever it is, that is not my courage. God is my courage. Blank is not my courage. God is my courage. Because in Jesus Christ, all who know God in Jesus Christ have eternal hope. If you want eternal hope that goes beyond the grave, that defeats everything you fear, sin and death and Satan and isolation and separation, then know that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the source of your hope. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, you need to know the only ground of eternal hope that will overcome your fears, the only source of eternal courage is found in Him. And what He offers to all who trust in Him is life beyond the grave, love beyond the loneliness of this life, provision beyond your wildest dreams. God is my courage. And then lastly, God is our salvation. Look at verses 14 to 16 this morning. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Passage says the person in trouble, the person about to drown, the person about to die can reach up and God will save. I was reminded of an incident about five years ago. It was during a summer, just like this one. My wife and kids went over to a friend's house to swim in the pool. And my, my wife and several of the moms were sitting around watching the kids as they swam in the shallow end of the pool and they were talking. And our son, Samuel, at the time was about three years old and he was playing in the shallow end. And you know how it can happen with kids. She turned to talk to somebody and in a split second, Samuel got out of that shallow end and he ran around the side of the pool to come around to her. And as he was running around, he slipped and he fell into the deep end of the pool. And she didn't see it at first until she heard the little voice, Mommy! And she looked up, and right as he said it, the head went under. Shannon said, I never knew I could move so fast. She jumped in that pool. She grabbed him out, brought him up to the side, and he was fine. But later we were talking about it with Samuel and trying to figure out uh, as well as we could what happened. If you know, trying to get a story from a three-year-old is harder than a police interrogation. Okay, but we said, Samuel, what happened? He said, well, I just slipped and I fell. And of course, he went under. He couldn't swim very well yet. 
But he said, with all that I had, I'm paraphrasing here. With the last breath he had, you know what he did? He popped up and he yelled, Mommy. And he said, I looked up and I saw Mommy look at me and I knew I didn't need to say it again because she would come. As I thought about that story, I couldn't help but think about Peter. When Jesus appeared to the disciples walking on the water, you remember the story. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you out on the water. And Jesus looks up and says, come, come on. Peter gets out of the boat. He starts to walk on the water. But as he sees the waves, he stops looking at Jesus and he begins to sink. And just as my son did, right, right, I think, before Peter's head goes under, he goes, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him and pulls him out and says, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? Now, I have to say, if I'm Peter, my answer would be all kinds of reasons. Just look around you. There's a giant storm. Everybody else is in the boat, by the way, Jesus. I'm out of the boat. I have all kinds of reasons to be afraid. There are fears on the water and in the dark that I hadn't even thought about before. The ocean was the ancient version of the twilight zone. They believed there were monsters and terrors that they had not even discovered. And Peter could say, God, I'm afraid. But Jesus would say, as long as you know me, as long as you're in my presence, you got nothing to be afraid of. Sometime later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter stood before a group of men and women. And he said these words in Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Look at verse 14 of Psalm 91 again. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high. Why? Because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. To know the name of God is to say, God, I trust you to save me from everything I fear. I trust you that when the cords of death are dragging me down, you'll reach in and save, just as he has done in Jesus Christ. God is our salvation. We have nothing to fear. Nothing else is my courage. God is my courage. So that in those moments of fear, here's what we do. We remember the character of God. When you're lying awake at night and you hear those voices that say, God doesn't care. God has left you alone. God doesn't see. Nobody sees. You're on your own. There's no shade. The worst is going to happen. Say, no, I worship a God who loves me so much that he interposed his own son, Jesus Christ, between me and death itself. And so God is here. God always sees and always cares. We remember his presence, always, always there. 
And then thirdly, we remember his salvation. We remember that the day is coming when death will be abolished. Loneliness will be no more. There will be more than enough provision for everybody in God's kingdom. No fear can ultimately destroy us because we know God in Jesus Christ. God is my courage, not my bank account, not my house, not the right schools for my kids, not my right neighborhood, not a good spinach salad. God is my courage. As you go through the week then, every time you feel those fears beginning to creep in, remember those words. I remember several years ago, and I'll tell this as we close. I began to be afraid, like I'm sure many have been afraid. I began to be afraid of our financial situation because we had three growing children. And those of you who have kids, you know, like when they're babies, they don't eat much. So you can order like a six count nugget from Chick-fil-A You and your wife kind of split five of them and you cut one three ways and you hand it out and the kids are good. (laughs) They don't eat much. But as they grew, they began to eat more and more and more. And I began to look at uh, the grocery bills and they were going up and up and up and up and up. And it didn't help that people who were older kept saying things like, you just wait until they're teenagers. And it terrified me. And it sounds, it sounds funny now. It sounds like this silly fear now. It terrified me. I would lay awake at night going, how are we going to do this? And I would check the bank account and it would either give me courage or despair. I would look at the pantry and either go, we've, we've got enough for this week. Or I would look and go, how did they do that so fast? But it was right about that time that I found myself reading Psalm 91. And in those dark moments, when I heard the voice of the enemy saying, yeah, God doesn't care. He's left you alone. You're going to run out. You're all going to starve. I began to practice this. God is my courage. Not my bank account. Not what's in the pantry. Not this house, not these clothes. God is my courage because everything I fear is vanquished in Jesus Christ because of the provision of God's Son. God is our courage. We have nothing to fear. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this time. And oh, we are grateful for your word because we are people of fear. We cannot see the big picture. We cannot see every day what you're doing. And we listen to voices that we ought to ignore and repudiate. So forgive us. Remind us that in Jesus Christ we have a hope and a future beyond any earthly fear. Let us trust you each day. Because we know each day has enough trouble of its own, so there's no value in worrying about tomorrow. Father, we praise you that in Jesus Christ, you've provided a way for us to experience eternal life 
an eternal relationship with you. Freedom from death and freedom from fear. We thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.